Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Come on, we're going to get into um, our Revelations. We only have uh, three more weeks left in our Revelation series. And uh, we were, last week, uh, we were looking at, uh, we were looking at Revelations chapter 13, and we looked at the mark of the beast. Come on, somebody, if you missed it, you should go back and listen to it. The mark of the beast and the two beasts, that one came out of the water and one was walking on the earth. And uh, it was they were being receiving their power from the dragon. And if you go back and listen, I'm not going to recap all of that. But what we learned was is that the first earth, the, the beast that came from the, the water was the uh, dragon uh, manipulated uh, political powers of that day who had chosen to no longer be under God's rule and now wanted to be a God. And then we looked at the, uh, the, the beast of the earth. The beast of the earth represented the false prophets and false teaching. The dragon manipulated false uh, teachers and prophets and doctrines and theologies and, and heresies that were trying to enter the church. And those two beasts are constantly going after the people of God. They're trying to take out those who've chosen to follow the way of the Lamb, those who will not uh, offer incense to Emperor Domitian or offer incense to the cultures of this world or will lay down their life for another God. But we are a people who are committed to the name of Jesus Christ and we are committed to being in love with him and laying our lives down for him. And so we have chosen the way of the Lamb. And so we look at chapter 14, which we haven't looked at, but we're going to skip chapter 14. 14, 15, and 16 today, but for, the, for just to kind of bring you up to speed on those, we see that the people of God who loved God uh, were, were being uh, protected in this season, and God began to pour out his judgment upon the world, but the judgment upon the world wasn't because God was necessarily judging the world. He was pouring out this judgment on the world to get people to turn to him. He was saying, come on, I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. This is what life is like without God. This is what life is like without a relationship with Jesus, and so he began to pour out out these different things and then we see in chapter 15 there's the preparation the last series of judgments this and you'll say I'm thank God we skipped that huh and then chapter 16 we see the final series of judgments called the seven bulls which we're not going to talk about and and maybe we'll look at it in a later date. But I felt like I needed to get kind of get towards the, the whole home stretch of the book here today. And so we're going to look in chapter, we're actually going to cover chapter 17 to chapter 19 today. So we're probably going to read a little bit less of the text just so that we can get through these three chapters. And, you know, as I studied this, I really was really impressed um, at this imagery that, that John is trying to reveal to the church. Now, remember, uh, John was on the island of Patmos. He was, uh, you know, splitting rocks because he was an enemy of the state because he made a personal decision that he was not going to worship the emperor by offering incense in the, 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 the altar or the temple of Domitian. Instead, he was going to serve God. And because of that decision, he was sent off to the island of Patmos. He was having a revelation from God, sitting on this rock, experiencing these revelations. And we saw four different windows that we've looked through. And so this window that we're looking through today is really the fourth window, the different four different revelations, five different revelations really next week. We look at the fourth revelation that we see that John is having an experience with God, but we have to remember that, that, that revelations is often written in apocalyptic literature, and it's written in a way that is, that, that is to reveal deeper truths than what we see. And so we see some more characters in the scripture and Today we're going to see a, a woman, uh, and we're going to see the beast again. <clears throat> and we're also going to experience God and, and Jesus and the Lamb once again in these scriptures. And but the woman that we're going to see in excuse me 
in Revelation chapter 17 is not the same woman that we saw in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, remember, or Re- Revelation chapter 12, rather, remember that woman represented the church of Jesus Christ. It was represented the, 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 the woman who gave birth to the child as a picture of Mary and a picture of the church of Jesus. And this woman is a different type of woman and it has a deeper meaning than what we see with what meets the eye. And so let's look at this scripture today in Revelation chapter 17. It says, one of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bulls came over and spoke to me. John, the angel, came and spoke to him. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. And the kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by her wine of immorality. And so the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns and blasphemies against God were written all over it. It's very reminiscent of the beast in, uh, in Revelation chapter 13. In fact, it is the same beast. It is the dragon manipulated political powers. That's this beast that we're talking about today. And the woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. And in her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her morality. Immorality and a mysterious name was written on this woman's forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. This is encouraging today, okay? Amen. Lord, we just thank you for today. In Jesus' name, go have a good lunch, everyone. We learn in this scripture that there's a woman, and this woman is obviously very different than the woman we read about previously. This is a new symbol, a new deeper meaning, something deeper. We see that she's called a harlot. She's called a great prostitute over many waters. The kings of the world had committed adultery with her. The people of the world had become drunk. The people of the world had become drunk on her immorality and her uh, her certain way of living. She was dressed in scarlet and wore purple and had beautiful jewels made of gold and gems, and she had a cup of abominations and immorality in her hand and she was drunk with the blood of those who had died giving their testimony for Jesus Christ and on her forehead was written the great name Babylon and she was sitting on a scarlet beast and this beast had blasphemous names all over it and the beast had seven heads and ten horns and don't worry we are blessed today to know that the angel wants to tell us who this is in verse six and seven John said I stared at her in complete amazement And why are you so amazed, the angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns on which she sits. And so remember, this beast in this scripture is the same beast that we see in Revelation chapter 13 that was receiving, uh, receiving power from the dragon, the devil. Remember, the devil wants to be a a triune counterfeit god. And so remember, this beast, this beast from the sea was in that day, the political powers of that day who had chosen to no longer follow God, but now wanted to be a God themselves. And that day it was Rome and uh, Emperor Domitian and no longer was the Emperor Domitian in submission to Yahweh God, but now wanted to be his own God and wanted all the people of the earth to worship him first in order for them to experience the benefits of what it felt like to be in the Roman Empire. And we see that the way the Domitian received this, 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 um, this, this beast Domitian and this beast Rome was being receiving its life from the dragon. They were worshiping the dragon through being manipulated by him to come out from underneath God to make themselves God. And we see that this beast is the same beast that we met last week. And look what he says in verse 9. Look, this calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. 
They also represent seven kings. Now, this requires understanding, so I need you to lean in a little bit because I know it can be very confusing in the book of Revelation. I want you to come with me today. It says to have understanding, and so it says the heads of the beast represent. They, ha- they are symbolic of the seven hills where the woman rules. She represents the, 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 the great city that rules over the kings of this world. She, it's almost like it's a spirit that overcomes, a spirit that is overwhelming the different seven hills, the different places where she rules. Now, Rome was built on seven hills. And every year they would celebrate this fact by having a, a big celebration called the Seven Mountains of Rome. And so Rome was built on top of this, these hills. And so we would know that in the scripture that Rome in this verse, Rome is the seven hills where the woman ruled. The woman was ruling in Rome. The woman had power in Rome. Now is Babylon a city or a nation? No. In this context, that Babylon is not a city and it's not a nation. It is a code or a symbol for a long, long history that goes all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis. We look back in the history and we realize that the Babylonian Empire was once a great, great city. It was considered the queen of the world. And it very suddenly and very unpleasantly came, uh, was destroyed by, by Cyrus the Great in 539 B.C. This great mighty force, this Babylonian force who had, had, had the most atrocities and obscenities against the living God had been brought down quickly. The destruction of Babylon was quick. And this once great city, the queen of the world, was defeated and devastated and despoiled. But we must even go further back to understand what Babylon is. Now, the, 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 the root word for the word Babylon is the word Babel. Does that ring a bell? In Genesis chapter 11, we see that humanity had long left the living God out of the equation, and they were seeking to unify as humans to build a tower that rises to the heavens, and they said exactly why. Let us build a name for ourselves. The spirit of Babel was the idea that we want to have a nation and have a world and have a life without the sovereign creator God. We want to build a name for ourselves. We want to build a tower unto heaven. And the scary part was is that they were actually going to accomplish this task. And so what God did is God came and he confused them with languages so that humanity could not find its unity apart from God. They were incomplete without the living God. Babylon is a code word in the Bible or a symbol in the scripture speaking to humanity, seeking to build their life and their government and their city without God. In the Old Testament, there's a number of specific cities that were Babylon. Nineveh Nineveh was Babylon, and Tyra was Babylon, and Babylon was Babylon. (laughs) Persia, Greece, Rome, and the entire time, this now in this context, the Roman Empire now is has the spirit of Babylon on it. Rome is the beast in this day who chose to no longer be under the authority of God. And when they chose to do that, the spirit of Babylon came over that city. And we see now, interestingly enough, the word Babylon is being mentioned in the New Testament. 
and not as the actual city, but this symbol, we see that Peter actually mentions it in the end of his epistle. And when he's addressing the churches, look what he says. He says, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings. Peter was nowhere near Babylon. He was identifying Rome. Peter was in Rome when he wrote this letter. He says, your sister church here in Rome, but I'm going to call it Babylon as a symbol to tell you that the spirit of Babylon has overcome this city. So here we see this now mentioned again in Revelations chapter 17. He uses this word Babylon as a symbolic way of referring to the new culture that is at war with the kingdom of God. It is the spiritual culture. It is a spirit of, 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 of immorality and a spirit of, of society and culture that rejects the way of the Lamb. Peter is saying here that Rome is the new Babylon, that Rome is the new mistress who would sub, uh, seduce and subvert the people of God if they continue to engage in a relationship with the Babylonian culture. And the whore of Babylon, the harlot of Babylon is the spirit of a seductive culture actively engaged in the deception and the destruction of God's people. And she rides on the beast, on the, on the, uh, the dragon-manipulated political powers who are the forces that are anti-Christian, anti-government, who are not any longer under God. Now we step into chapter 18. And in chapter 18, we see something very fascinating, that after, after uh, in chapter 17, the angel identifies this great woman, this great Babylon, who rides on the dragon-inspired political powers of the day, that the spirit of Babylon was now infiltrating that government because they had rejected the way of the Lamb. And now, in chapter 18, we see the angel now trying to call out to the people of God who are living within Babylon, saying something so powerful for you and for me today. In verse, chapter 18, verse 4, I heard another voice calling from heaven, Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. We see the angel of the Lord crying out. This letter was written to the seven churches that lived in Asia who were experiencing persecution and experiencing temptation and were experiencing heresy. And the angel of the Lord said, listen, the, the, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of the culture in the world today is trying to take out the people of God. Come away from her, my people. Step away from the things of this world, my people. Do not take part in her sins. Can you hear the cry of the angel? Because Babylon will be punished. I do not want you to be punished among the people of Babylon. Come back to the people of God. Come back to the city of God. Come back to this place. He's knocking at the door today saying, Church of Jesus Christ, no longer engage with the society and the culture of this world. Come away from her. I beckon you. Do not live in that city any longer. He's saying to the churches, he's saying, do not have any part with the society and the culture of Babylon that exists today in the anti-Christian political powers. He says, come out because the city's going to be destroyed. All of this is going to be destroyed. The world will come to a close. The world will come to an end. The city will be destroyed. And will you be able to remain and prevail through it all? 
Will you separate yourself from the world and separate yourself from the things of this world and separate yourself from the ideologies of this world and the philosophies of this world and the cultures of this world and be submitted and live for the city of our God, the new Jerusalem in heaven, that this earth is not our own, but we have a country that we are looking forward to. Heaven is my true home. This separation, this disconnection, this pulling away before Babylon comes to a fall. And then we jump over to Revelations chapter 19. And our first invitation in Revelations 18, remember he's talking to the people of God, is come out, come away from her, separate yourself from her. But then in Revelations chapter 19, we see now this great and beautiful invitation to be a part of the feast of God, to come and be in the wedding feast of God, that he is returning for his people and about to have a part party and he says I'm inviting you and I'm knocking at your door today will you open your heart to the Lord and come to the invitation of the wedding feast in Revelations 19 we see John said I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd of the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of a loud thunder praise the Lord the Lord our God the almighty reigns let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. The bride has prepared herself. An invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Come away from the harlot of Babylon. Come away from the enticements of that world. Come away from the immoralities of that world. And I'm giving you an invitation to the feast of the Lamb. I have prepared a table for you. I have prepared a meal for you. You are my beloved. I am in love with you. I died for you. I want to have a relationship with you. Leave the ways of the past. Leave the ways of Babylon. And accept the invitation of the Lamb and the feast of the Lamb that will happen in the new Jerusalem as we see in Revelations chapter 21. Look at this imagery. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem see what Babylon wants to do is to be a counterfeit Jerusalem he wants to pretend the devil wants you to think that the things of this world are like the things of God's world when in reality they are in antithesis they are opposite they are the, the, the absolute the counterpart they are the absolute opposites the, the Babylon to the new Jerusalem he says come to Babylon come and eat from my table come and drink from my cup and God is saying come away with me people of God come to the holy city the new Jerusalem look at this coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband like a bride. So we see Babylon as a harlot, as a prostitute, who's pretending to be a bride, who's pretending to be faithful, who's pretending to be helpful, who's pretending to give you all that you ever needed. And in opposite, we have the bride, New Jerusalem, where there is no tears and there is no shame and there is no fear and there is no sin and there's restoration to new life. We see that Babylon is the counterfeit Jerusalem. And throughout the whole Old Testament, we see the arrival of the new heaven and the new earth is spoken, spoken as a great feast. Look at it says in Isaiah 25, 6. In Jerusalem, the Lord, the heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. And it will be a delicious banquet with queer, clear, clear, clear well-aged wine. I like well-aged wine and choice meat. I love choice meat. 
There'll be a, a banquet table ready and prepared. And then we take this correlation. Jesus then correlates this back to Matthew chapter 22 and says, Jesus also told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by this story. A king, my father, who prepared a great wedding feast for his son, which is me. Jesus is talking about the wedding feast of the lamb. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm about to have a wedding feast. My father is preparing a wedding feast for me. And I want to invite you to join me in this today. And you want to know who the bride of Jesus is? The church of Jesus Christ. You and I, as authentic and true disciples of Jesus Christ, who choose to prevail through it all, have chosen to follow Christ through thick and thin, have made a covenant and a commitment to serve him with all of our hearts. We are the church and the bride of Jesus Christ. We are his followers, and we, if, we, if we look to the Revelations chapter 2 and 3, we see the letters that were written to the seven churches. Now remember, the first letter written was to the, the church in Ephesus, and it says, I, I have, you're doing a great job, but I have this against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You and I were once engaged to be married, and we were excited and thrilled and happy and giddy, and we were just madly in love, and I, you couldn't wait to be in my presence, and you couldn't wait to be in my word, and you couldn't wait to be doing the things that I've called you to do, but something has happened along the line, and you don't love me like you did in the beginning. And then we actually look to the, to the, the last letter in, in, in Revelations chapter 3. And we see then he says, see, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and we will eat together, my beloved. So he starts by saying, listen, you've fallen away from your first love, church. And then he says, listen, I'm knocking at the door. Do you see the invitation? He says, listen, come back. Come out of the world. Come out of Babylon and return back to me. Return back to a passionate relationship with me once again. Not only that... I am knocking on the door of your heart once again, and I am standing, and I am waiting. Will you open the door, my beloved? Because when you do, we will have a meal together. But then, in the very middle, we see in the very middle the church to Thyatira, in Revelations 2.20. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, the Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offering to idol. And I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. He says, listen, church, you're allowing the spirit of Jezebel, the, the spirit of, of, of the Nicolaitans, you're allowing this false prophet to lead you astray from a personal relationship with God. Do not commit adultery with Babylon. He beckons the church. And we see all throughout the Bible imagery of the church of Jesus Christ being the bride and Jesus being the husband. We're going to read a few verses here. Look at this in Isaiah 54, 5. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. How about in Isaiah uh, 61.10, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom just for his wedding, or I am like a bride with her jewels. What he says in Jeremiah 2, 2, go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young, young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. Do you see this imagery of the church of Jesus Christ being passionately and longingly in love with their husband, Jesus Christ? You see in Ezekiel, 
And when I passed by again, I saw that you were old enough for love. And so I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declared my marriage vows. And I made a covenant with you and says, the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. And then I bathed you and washed off your blood. And I rubbed fragrant oils into your skin. And I gave you expensive clothing of fine linen and silk, beautifully embroidered in sandals, made of fine goatskin leather. And I gave you lovely jewelry and bracelets and beautiful necklaces, a ring for your nose, earrings for your ears, a lovely crown for your head. And you were so adorned with gold and silver. And your clothes were made of fine linen and costly fabric and were beautifully embroidered and you ate the finest foods, choice flour, honey, and olive oil and became more beautiful than ever and you looked like a queen and so you were. Your fame soon soon spread throughout the world because of your beauty and I dressed you in my splendor and perfected your beauty says the sovereign Lord but you thought your fame and beauty were your own. So you gave yourself as a prostitute to every man who came along and your beauty was theirs for the asking and you use the lovely things that I gave you to make shrines for idols where you played the prostitute unbelievable how could such a thing have ever happened see the reason John wrote this to the church of Jesus Christ the reason Jesus needed to call upon the church to come back was because we are so prone to being in, in, uh, seduced by the spirit of Babylon you're so seduced to the things of this world and the accoutrements of this world and the privileges of this world and the sins of this world and the immoralities of this world and we just forget that we are married. We are in an engaged relationship with Jesus. Finally, Paul brings it back and says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So finally, this points to Revelations chapter 19. Look what it says. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Now it's important as we end today that you understand how weddings worked in this context. Remember that they were, there was a betrothal. There was an engagement. and It began with a ceremony. And the, pers- the prospective groom would leave his father's house and travel with his best man to the prospective bride's house. And the groom would make final arrangements with the father by settling on a purchase price. Because women in those days were bought with a price. And as soon as the groom settled on the purchase price, the marriage technically went into effect. They were now married. They were legally married. And even though they wouldn't consummate the marriage and wouldn't see one another for some time, they had made a personal commitment to one another that they were married to each other. There would be no infidelity. There would be no idolatry. There would be no adultery. They were committed to each other, consecrated and set apart for one another. She was consecrated to the groom. And a new covenant was established at the end of that betrothal where they would take a glass of wine and they would say, drink this glass of wine together because this is a new covenant. And then for about 12 months, the the husband would go back to the father's house and he would uh, begin to build the house and prepare a place at the father's house and he'd make arrangements and he, he would, he would uh, uh, go back and during this time he would make room for the bride and there would be a separation period and during the separation period if the, 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 if the groom died if the, if, the, if the husband died she would be considered a widow it's as though they were married during this separation time and they weren't together and they did not see each other during this time and they didn't consummate the marriage during this time but they were legally and spiritually bound to one another even though the bride was still waiting for her husband. 
And then at the end of the betrothal period, the bridegroom dressed in festive attire and accompanied by the, his best man, his friends would make his way back to the bride's house. And although everyone had a rough idea of when the groom was going to come, often they actually didn't know when. And he would generally come around midnight as a surprise to the people. And when he arrived, they would say, here's the bridegroom. Everybody come out. And his arrival would bring great joy. And the bride would be veiled and accompanied by her maidens who held lanterns. And they would all come out and the wedding feast would begin to take place. And the groom would take the bride from her home and he would take her and the bridal party would make their way to the father's house where they would find the wedding guests gathered and dressed in special outfits and the feast would go on and on and on for seven to 14 days where they would party. Does this begin to look familiar to you? That we see all the way back in Luke chapter seven or 24, Jesus said he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves for I will not drink this wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this and remember for me, in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. We are married. We are betrothed. We are in a covenant relationship. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out and sacrificed for you. And just a few verses later in the book of John, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. And if this were not so, would I have told you that? I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you always will be where I am. So let us rejoice and be glad and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself for her. And she has been given the finest pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. See, when you look at it this way, our relationship with Jesus now becomes a matter of loyalty. Where infidelity and immorality and adulterous behavior is not permittable in a marriage relationship. And John is trying to help the people remember that. Prepare yourself for the day is coming when Jesus will return for his people. And he will say, come back. Come back to me, my people. Come out of Babylon. I am standing at the door. And I am knocking at your heart. And I want to have a personal relationship with you. And I want to share a meal with you. And I want to be married to you. And I want to be committed to you. Don't any longer just be in an autopilot relationship with God. But now remember that he wants you to go back to your first love. And reject the idea of Babylon. And accept the spirit of God into your life. We are married to the way of the Lamb. We are married to God. And that means we live lives that please the Lord. That when the day comes, when the new Jerusalem comes, and the new heavens and the new earth come, you and I will be ready and prepared, committed, passionately in love with our Jesus. We repent of our sins and we turn to him and we accept the invitation for a personal relationship with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be madly in love with you. I don't want to cheat on you, God, with my different things in my life, whether it's sin or ideology or, ideologies or idolatry in my life. God, I want to come away from that. I don't want to have a relationship with you, God, and I want to be faithful to you, Lord, and I want to be loyal to you, God, and I want to be faithful to your word, and I want to be faithful to your kingdom. Why? Because a day will come when I will be rewarded by being invited to the feast of the Lamb. Would you stand with your feet this morning?
Come on, would you just close your eyes for a moment? Come on, I don't know if you're in the room today, and I I know there's two types of people here that I want to talk to today. Those in the room who don't have a personal relationship with Christ. And those in the room who say, gosh, Ryan, I've been been engaging with Babylon. I need to come away. I need to re-engage a relationship with the Lord. Come on, if you're that first person today, and you say, Ryan, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'd like to start one today. I want to I wanna be invited to that wedding feast. I want to be in the new heaven and the new earth. I want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you today, would you just place your hand in the air? Come on, would you just put your hand real high so I can see it? I won't call you forward or embarrass you, but I just want to see if I'm praying for anybody today. Come on, online, if you are giving your life to Jesus today, you can actually text us at 587-207-5900 and text Jesus. And we want to get lead you to Christ and tell you more about him. Come on, there be eye closed. You're in the room today. You say, Ryan, I, I want to make a recommitment. I want to come back to the Lord. I want to come away from Babylon. I want to go back to my first love. Come on, Father, I just pray for the church today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would just make a fresh commitment to serve you. That God, when the, the, the signs of the times are all over the place, Lord, we don't know when it will be. But we know that it just feels like, man, things are going crazy across our world. And, Lord, we want to make sure that we are in a passionate relationship with the living God and that our hearts have not been divided into other things. God, we want to commit ourselves to you afresh once again. Our church wants to be a church that's ready and spotless, God, ready for you to come, oh, God, when you choose to do so. So I pray for those in the room, God, who have been experiencing guilt and shame and areas of sin in their life. God, we know that you come and you cover us with a multitude. Lord, you cover a multitude of sin with your blood. As far as the east is from the west, you remove our transgressions from us. And we thank you that your forgiveness and your grace is available to every person in the room and online today. And we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.